Uh, but just a little bit about me. I have three kids and a beautiful wife. But before I had three kids, I just had a beautiful wife. And uh, my life was much different. So when I, it was just me and my wife, Angela, we got to kind of, you know, go out whenever we wanted to go out. And we got to eat whenever and whatever we wanted. We got to travel around and, and kind of we got to go to different parts of the country and really enjoy ourselves. And we felt very blessed. And then we had kids. No, I'm just kidding. We love our kids. And, and the thing about kids, though, is that when you have this new birth in your life, it really changes everything. And so when we used to go out and eat wherever we wanted to, now we can't. Right? When we wanted to sleep whenever we wanted to, now if the kids have a bad night, we can't. Right? I was talking to my wife the other day, and I said, why does it take so much work to keep our house clean? She said, because we have three extra human beings who live with us now. I thought, okay. Same thing with laundry, right? We used to get laundry done, and everything was good. We'd wash it, fold it, whatever, put it away. But now somehow the laundry basket keeps getting filled up over and over again. And so having kids and, and having new birth in your life, it really does change everything. It's been changing my perspective. Uh, a few weeks ago, my one daughter, Sophia, I was asking her to do something. I said, Sophia, I'm going to give you to the count of three to do this. So I said, one, two, and she stopped me. She said, Dad. I said, what? She said, why did you start at one? I said, what do you mean? She said, the number line starts at zero. <laughs> I said, fine, you have to the count of two to get it done now. <laughs> no, but it, it, if you have kids, you know it changes everything. And, and Jesus, he used this metaphor of kind of new birth, changing everything with a man named Nicodemus. And so this is found in John chapter 3, but he meets with a man named Nicodemus and he's going to help Nicodemus rethink his life and rethink his relationship with God. John records this conversation because he wants us to know that being a follower of Jesus is more than just following some rules or doing some rituals, but it entails so much more than that. And so just like having a baby, we're going to learn and Nicodemus is going to learn that being born again changes everything. Born again is a term that you may have heard in the past. But basically what it means is you put your faith in Jesus and that's when you're born again. And so that's how we're going to use it this morning. Uh, before we start talking about our story, I want to talk to some of you in here specifically. I think we have three groups of people. The first group of people for you, Jesus is sort of irrelevant up until this point of your life. I'm not saying you don't like Jesus or, or you dislike him. I'm just saying you have your life here and Jesus is kind of over here. Maybe you knew about him in your childhood, but he's just kind of over here. And my hope for you by the end of our time this morning is that you would even consider Jesus being one of the most relevant people who has ever lived. The second group of us are those of us who have seen Jesus as our teacher. Maybe he's our helper. He, he helps us, right? He helps us get further along in life or do better or become a better person. My hope for you is that at the end of our time together, you wouldn't see him as your helper or your teacher, but you'd see him as your savior. And then there are those of us in here who, who see Jesus as our Savior who's rescued us. My hope for all of us is that we would see Jesus for who he is and what he's done in our lives. And then we would also be reminded about the importance of sharing his love with other people so they can know him. So before we go through this story, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've given us your word. And you've told us what you think. And in some ways how to live. And God, most of all, you've given us the truth about what you've done for us. I pray today as we uh, 
look into your word that it would speak to us and change us and we leave here different people because we know you better. God, open up our hearts. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. You can turn in your copy of the scriptures if you have it on your phone or tablet or paper Bible. We'll also have it up here on the screen. Uh, but most people know John 3.16. That's probably the most memorized verse in scripture. And uh, we're going to talk about that next week. So we're going to stop one verse short of that. So if you don't hear it at the end, don't be shocked. You'll hear it next week. But we're going to talk about the story that led up to that. And in this story, Jesus is going to answer three questions for us. And, and the guy Nicodemus, he may not be asking these questions, but Jesus is going to answer them anyways. And here's the first question Jesus is going to answer. It's this. Who must be born again? Who must be born again? Uh, verses 1 through 3, here's, here's how it goes. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. To understand what's going on here, we need to, to go back a chapter. At the end of uh, chapter 2 in the book of John, it talks about Jesus being at the Passover festival. And the Passover festival was kind of the biggest celebration in all of the history of Israel. And so everyone had to come to Jerusalem, and Jesus was there doing signs and miracles. And there were lots of people who were believing in him, but there were these religious leaders who weren't so sure. We learn about Nicodemus, that he was one of these religious leaders. He was part of the Jewish ruling council. They called that the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, I want you to think of the Supreme Court of the United States. That's what the Sanhedrin was like, except they dealt with civil affairs, religious affairs, and obviously legal affairs. So Nicodemus was a pretty powerful person. He probably came to Jesus on behalf of a group of people from the Sanhedrin. But then Jesus later says something specific about Nicodemus. And when you read it in kind of the original language it's written on, he says, you are Israel's teacher, but it's kind of like not one of their teachers, you're their teacher, which meant Nicodemus was probably one of the highest ranking teachers in, in all of Israel at this point. Now, I think of that like a Bible college professor or seminary professor, like the person that you would look at and say, they probably know all the answers. Like they've written papers on things that my small brain will never think about. Like, they're just the person you go to for wisdom. And another thing we notice about Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night, which probably meant he didn't want his conversation to be out in the public, but he wanted to ask Jesus things uh, kind of hidden. Here's the problem with Nicodemus and his conversation with Jesus. We actually don't know what Nicodemus wants with Jesus. Because all we see with Nicodemus is he says some nice things about Jesus, says he's from God, and then what does Jesus do? Jesus kind of just cuts him off, doesn't let him answer his questions, because you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus isn't there to answer Nicodemus' questions. He's there to answer Nicodemus' spiritual condition. That's what he's doing in this part. See, in verse 3, he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Whenever you see Jesus say very truly or truly, truly or verily, verily, based on your translation, here's what he's saying. This is really important, so you need to pay attention. So he's kind of signaling Nicodemus, pay attention to this. He says, 
No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. The kingdom of God for Nicodemus and kind of his, his buddies was a concept of a future uh, kingdom that God would be ruling over, ruling over the whole world, and the Jewish people would be ruling with him. So it was this kind of utopian time that was going to come, and we still believe will come. But for Nicodemus to get into this kingdom, there were two qualifications. The first one is you were from the right family. So you were part of a Jewish family. You were uh, a son or um, a son or a daughter of Abraham. Remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons? I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but Father Abraham, so you were part of Abraham's family because he, he kind of started the whole Jewish people. God used him. And then the second thing you need to do was be a pretty good person. Right? Not, not perfect, but you had to kind of sacrifice the right things and in general follow the Jewish law. And if you did those things, then you get into the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus is, is not even questioning whether he's going to be in the kingdom of God. He's one of the, the, the head teachers of Israel. He's really morally upright. He probably follows the law to a T. He's not even thinking of this, but Jesus is. And Jesus says, hey man, you need to be born again if you want to get into the kingdom of God. So Jesus, making a point to Nicodemus, whether you're the worst of the worst or the best of the best, you need to be born again. So the answer to our question, who needs to be born again? Most of us know it, everyone. Right, that's the answer. Who needs to be born again? Every single person. See, all the religious things that Nicodemus had done, all the religious points that he may have scored, Jesus looked at him and said, hey, that's good, but that's not what we're going for here. See, because to get into the kingdom of God, to have eternal life, it really is putting your faith in Jesus. And that's what born again means. And, and Nicodemus, though, he, he actually did have one part right. See, it was getting into the family that's important. But it wasn't getting into the family of the Jews. See, what happens when you become a follower of Jesus is that you get a new family. You become part of the family of God. And so now... You're a son or daughter of God, not of Abraham. And that's what it takes to get into the kingdom of God. See, so many people, including Nicodemus, they think they can somehow earn their way to be in good standing with God. And if they do just enough right things, right, they're good with God and God's good with them. But Jesus is saying, hey, it doesn't matter how many good things you've done. You don't get into the kingdom of God. You don't get to be God's kid that way. There's a different way. And so Nicodemus is probably thrown off here, and that's why he, he comes to Jesus and he, he makes his next statement. In his statement, we're going to see this question. What does it mean to be born again? Or what does it mean to be born again? So Nicodemus is slightly confused. He's really not on the same page of Jesus. He says this in verse 4. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, this is kind of laughable because Nicodemus is supposed to be the brightest and the best of all of Israel's teacher. And the thing that Jesus said just went right over his head. And I think John writes that way so, so we can see Jesus explain what does it mean to be born again. He starts off in verse 5. He says, very truly, I tell you. Remember what that means? Pay attention. This is important. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from 
or where it is going, so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So Jesus clearly lays it out, right? No. For Nicodemus, Nicodemus sort of understood this because he had more background than we do. And so there's some simple parts of this. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Basically, humans give birth to humans, right? And spirit gives birth to spirit. Basically, you can't be spiritually changed without the Holy Spirit. So he's kind of saying these things. But then he says something about flesh and water and wind. And you're kind of like, okay, I'm not really sure what that means. And that's okay. If you were Nicodemus, you would have known a story from Israel's history from the prophet Ezekiel. And so Ezekiel was one of the Old Testament prophets, and, and he was during a time when, when the Jewish people had just kind of turned away from God so many times and so many times that God said, you know what, I'm going to give you what you want. And he kind of let them go off on their own, and a ruling people came in, invaded them, and took them to all different lands. And now Ezekiel is a prophet, and he's, he wants to speak to them, and here's what he's going to say. Hey, God hasn't given up on you, right? You're not hopeless, Here's what the prophet Ezekiel says. This is God speaking to the people. He said, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be wasted away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Notice that this passage doesn't say, once you decide to follow after me, or once you get yourself right, then I'll do this. No, this is all the action is on God's behalf. And what is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to clean you. I'm going to take away your sins. I'm going to clean off all of the filth. And then he said, then I'm going to change the way you think. And the way I'm going to do that is by giving you a brand new heart. I love this. This is a, a prayer that I want to pray that God would give me a tender and responsive heart to him. Then he said they would follow his regulations. See, what would happen when they got a new heart? Here's what I think. Their perspectives, their hopes, and their desires would all be changed. No longer for these idols, for these other gods, but now for God. See, this isn't God's picture of somehow making them better people. This is God's picture of making them new people. And that's how we answer the question, what does it mean to be born again? It means a total spiritual transformation. A total spiritual transformation. At Connection Church, our passion is to see people connected into a growing relationship with Jesus. And when that happens, you don't just become better, you become new, brand new. And Jesus is going to do something for Nicodemus that, that we need to see. He's going to say, hey listen, Nicodemus... Here's what I want you to get. You're going to be born again, but not necessarily things are going to change on the outside, but everything's going to change on the inside. And so he starts talking about wind. And in verse 8, he says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Right? So when you go outside today and you see the trees moving in the parking lot, here's what you're not thinking. Hey, I wonder what's doing that. Right? When my deck furniture is getting blown around or shingles are getting blown off my roof, which has happened, I'm not thinking, oh, someone must have come and ripped a shingle off my roof or moved my deck furniture around. That never crosses my mind because what do we know? It's the wind. The wind is doing it. And the wind, you can't see it, but you know it's there. And it's the same way with the Spirit of God when He transforms you, is that you can't actually see it happening, but you know it's happening. And you get a 
new heart and you become a new person. When I, when all, the, all of my life when I've heard about being born again, I don't think I ever got the totality of what it means to be born again. So let me describe it to you uh, in, in a way that I can get. So how many of you have watched the show Fixer Upper? Right, so, all right, so there's a pretty good amount. If, if you've never seen Fixer Upper, it's about Chip and JoJo. They're the people who, who uh, transform houses. And my wife loves Fixer Upper, and so I'm actually surprised my house doesn't have any shiplap in it yet. Not saying it won't, I'm just saying it doesn't have it yet. But what they do is they take potential homeowners, and they take them all around to different houses, and they say, hey, what do you think about this house? Here's what we can do. What do you think about this house? Here's what we can do. And so the homeowner, they pick kind of an an average house, not that nice, and then they go away, and Chip and JoJo kind of fix it up and, and make it really nice. And then at the end of the show, right, they, they put a giant cardboard picture of the house, and they bring the homeowners, and they sit them in front of it, and they say, are you ready to see your house? And the people are like, yeah, and then, then a commercial comes, because that's the best part, right, because you're like, what happens? So then a commercial comes, then it comes back, and they're like, are you ready to see your house? And they're like, yeah, and they pull it apart. And, and they see this house, and they start crying and hugging, and it, you know. But what they're really looking at is the same house, and it, you know, it kind of looks a lot nicer. There's, there's a new porch, there's new paint, kind of probably walls are taken out. It just kind of looks newer and nicer. That's not what being born again is like. Being born again is more like the show Extreme Total Home Makeover Something Edition. Uh, I always get confused. So whatever that's called, right? And um, uh, thousands of volunteers come, okay? And they, and they find a house. The hosts find a house. And they're going to help a family. So they send that family to Disney World. And, th- and then they, like, start working on the house. But sometimes, sometimes the house is so bad off that all they can do is just crush the house tear it down to the ground, and then build a brand new house for the family. And then when the family comes back, instead of a cardboard picture, there's a bus, and what does it say? Move that bus, right? Everyone's so excited, and they're just, then a commercial, right? And then they come back, move that bus, move that bus, move that bus. But here's what I want you to get. Ready? They pulled up to the same address that they used to live at. The houses around their house are the same. Not much has changed until they move that bus away. And what do they see? Something brand new. Something they've never seen before. See, it isn't like, wow, look what they did to our house. But wow, we have a new house. And when you are born again by the Spirit of God, you get a new spirit inside of you. And you are a new person. And you are changed by Jesus Christ. It is an amazing thing that can happen. That's what happens when you're born again. I have a friend who just started recently coming to our church. And, and they, they grew up sort of in a religious family. Uh, they went to church, and, but as he grew, he became a teenager, kind of walked away from God like lots of people do. And as he was kind of living his life, he ran into some friends, and, and he met these people, and they really didn't like Jesus, and they practiced witchcraft. And so as he hung out with them, he, he started kind of practicing the same things they did, and and. And didn't really like God that much. Didn't really see the value in God. And so he just kept living his life. And then he started dating a girl who was a Christian, which his friends didn't like, but, but he didn't care. He was going to date her anyways. And he started realizing the things that he'd been looking to in his life weren't bringing him fulfillment or satisfaction. 
And through a series of events, one day his girlfriend asked him, she said, do you want to follow Jesus? He told me at that moment it was one of the most agonizing moments of his life. Because he knew if he said yes to Jesus, then everything that defined him in the past, all that he did, all that he looked to, he would have to say goodbye to that. He was so much a part of who he was, he would have to say, all of that is done now. And so he agonized and was torn up inside. But he finally said yes to Jesus, and he said a peace came over him. He became a follower of Jesus. He became born again. Do you know what? Things changed. I saw a post of his on social media. I loved it. Here's what he said. He said, he said his name, and he said, I'm no longer going to be defined by the people I used to hang out with or the music I listened to, or the jobs I had, or even my dad, or my mom, or my siblings, or, or my friend group. I'm not defined by that anymore. He said, you know what I'm defined by? My new title is a child of God. That was his post, because you know what? Something had changed inside of him, and he was born again, and born new. See, when you put your faith in Jesus, you don't become the best version of yourself. He doesn't help you reach your full potential. It's not the best version of Andrew Vancott that you're seeing on this stage. You're something new. Altogether new. And so Jesus wanted Nicodemus to get this. He wanted him to say, hey, all the things that you've been relying on in the past, they can't get you to God. But I can. And so he starts pointing Nicodemus to himself. And so Jesus already answered the question, right? Who needs to be born again? Everyone. What does it mean to be born again? A complete spiritual transformation. But the last question that Nicodemus is going to ask, and, and we're going to ask this morning, is how can someone be born again? How can someone be born again? In verse 9, Nicodemus is dumbfounded. He's like, I don't understand how this can happen. How can this be? Jesus starts off in verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you. Remember what that means? Pay attention. This is important. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? For no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. This was a title Jesus used for himself. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. See, before Jesus fully gives the answer to Nicodemus, he starts by pointing out what's true about himself, and he says, you should understand this. And then he uses the word we, and he says, we know what's true, and we give testimony to it. So that could have even meant uh, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, or Jesus and his disciples, we're not really sure. But he said, we've been speaking this truth, but, but you haven't been listening and you haven't been getting it. And they said, I've been speaking of earthly things, kind of things he was teaching about were, were lower things, but this was kind of a heavenly thing. And then Jesus does something outrageous that we don't necessarily see because we live here. We didn't live where he lived. He says, no one has come from heaven except for the Son of Man. So all of the Old Testament prophets and Old Testament writers that Nicodemus followed and kind of staked his life on the Old Testament, 
Jesus is saying, I'm actually greater than them because they lived on earth and some of them went up to heaven, like God just literally took them up to heaven, Enoch and Elijah, maybe Moses, but they never came back down. But he's saying, I came down to you from heaven. He's putting himself on the same plane with God. So he's pointing to Nicodemus saying, hey, listen, I am, I am God. And then he starts talking about snakes, right? which is a weird transition. Unless you know what Nicodemus knows. So snakes in the Jewish culture were not worshipped or revered, right? Some cultures they are. Snakes in the American culture are not revered by most people, right? Unless your favorite movie is Snakes on a Plane and you love that movie, then you like snakes. But for most of us, we don't like snakes. But for some reason, Jesus is referring to a snake here. And so Nicodemus knew what we didn't. We have to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Numbers. And we read a story about the people of Israel. Now, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God rescued them, 10 plagues, spread the Red Sea, right? Now they're out in the desert, wandering towards the promised land. That was a very quick history. Now they're out in the promised land, or trying to go to the promised land, and they're getting frustrated because they're not there yet, and so they start grumbling. Here's what it says in verse 4. They traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea, to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. God had been miraculously providing food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. Bad. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake looked at the bronze snake and they lived. So Nicodemus knew this story. We go back to verse 14 in our passage. And it says this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, that snake statue, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Being lifted up in the book of John is a term for, for Jesus being crucified on the cross, kind of being lifted up on the cross. Also is a, a term that, that Jesus is going to bring God glory. Right? And this didn't happen yet. This is going to happen later on. But, but this is the term. And so why is Jesus going up on the cross the same as a bronze snake out in the desert? Is because of the results. When the people looked at the bronze snake, they were saved and they were able to live. When we look at Jesus, when we see what he's done, we get eternal life. N.T. Wright, he says this, when we, when we look at Jesus on the cross, this is powerful. He says, we see the evil which was and is in the world, deep-rooted within us all was somehow allowed to take its full force out on Jesus. When we look at him hanging on the cross, what we were looking at is the result of the evil in which we were all stuck. And we are seeing what God has done about it. In particular, what God's own love looks like. So you might not know why Jesus was crucified on the cross, N.T. Wright is telling us that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, all of the evil inside of you and inside of me and all of the sin that we've committed, the penalty for that 
is put on Jesus. See, God is a God of justice, and so He doesn't just look at evil and say, like, well, that's okay, that happens. Or He doesn't look at your sin and just wink at it and say, like, no problem, you'll get it right the next time. No, no, no. Evil and sin need to be punished, and God is a God of justice and punishes it. But when Jesus died on the cross, here's what happened. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. That the, the, the wrong desires and wrong priorities and wrong hopes and wrong beliefs that have led us away from God to hurt one another, to sin, that needed to be punished. And so God, instead of punishing us, punished Jesus on the cross. That's why it's such a beautiful thing. God can't be with us if we're imperfect or unrighteous. And that's a problem because we can't be perfect. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died on our place and gave us his rightness and his perfection so we could be in relationship with God. And that means that we don't have to die and be separated from God forever, but that means that we get to live and be in relationship with God forever. See, the kingdom of God, that's also a term for eternal life. And what, and what did Jesus say in verse 15? He said that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Talking about himself. So how can you be born again? How can someone be born again? Here's the answer. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. It's not get better. It's not try harder. It's not, it's not tiptoe on the line and, and, and make sure you do more good than bad. No. The way to have eternal life, to be with God, is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what will happen? He'll transform you. He'll change you. See, putting your faith isn't merely just saying, yeah, I believe Jesus died or I believe he, he can forgive my sins, but saying I'm going to stake my life on that truth and I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. That's what he's asking us to do when he says believe in me. That's what he's asking Nicodemus to do. He's saying, hey, listen, I know, I know you're trusting in all your hard work and your family line, but here's what you need to do. Trust in me and I'll save you. Just like those people were saved from the snakes, I'll save you from something far worse. If you're one of those people in the room this morning who Jesus was irrelevant to you when you walked in, my hope is that you're considering Jesus to be one of the most relevant people in your life. Because knowing Jesus changes everything. For those of us in this room who just saw Jesus as our, our helper or our teacher to kind of make our lives better, I hope you see what you need most is, is not to have someone help you, but to have someone rescue you. To rescue you from the lies that you believe. To rescue you from all the things you think you can do to get into God's good graces. Jesus is our Savior and Rescuer. I'd love to have every head bowed and eye closed for just a moment. See, Scripture tells us that, that no one can come to the Father unless they're drawn to Him. And that when the Son of Man was lifted up, that he drew all men to himself. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus yet, it's not an accident that you came. It's not luck. It's not a coincidence. God is drawing you to himself. And do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I want you to be my child. 
And you can do that by putting your faith in Jesus this morning. That's all you have to do is put your faith and say, I believe and I trust in you. And so I'd ask this morning, of all the people here, is there anyone here who would say, yes, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus this morning? I know that's what I need most. I know that's, that's a piece of the puzzle that's been missing for so long, and I've been trying to fill that space, but I haven't been able to. And so if that's you this morning, and you, you just sense that you need Jesus, that you want to follow up to him, would you just raise your hand and let me know? Say, Andrew, I want to follow after Jesus. I need him. Say, there's been something missing for so long. Thank you. See that hand. Are there other people in here who would say, I need Jesus more than I could ever imagine? If you uh, said that today, even if you didn't raise your hand, I just want to have you pray a prayer with me and you can pray it in your heart. And it goes like this. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he's done. I would ask that you would forgive my sins, cleanse me, and come into my life. I want to follow you. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that prayer this morning, you can look up at me. If you prayed that prayer this morning, this means that you're starting a journey of following after Jesus and he's changing you and making you new. There's a third group of people, those of us who, who may already know Jesus as our Savior. I have two questions for you. This morning, are your priorities and hopes and decisions like those of a person who's been completely transformed to follow after Jesus? See, I believe it's a constant thing that God does in, in helping us grow. And then the second thing, is there anyone in your life who needs to know about Jesus who doesn't yet? Is there someone that God has put near you in relationship to you at, at your workplace and your kids' sports teams that don't know him yet, that aren't born again, that haven't had that experience? Do you know what? You can invite them to church to hear about Jesus sometime. We'd love to have you do that. Or you can share your own story with them. See, because there's nothing more powerful than someone's life who's changed by Jesus.